his breath in our lungs. The scripture says, Paul says to Timothy, that the scriptures are just that. They are God-breathed, inspired, God-breathed. Today we're going to open up to Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, but we're going to start uh, a little walk through Romans 12 for the next little bit. Um, There's a lot to be covered in this passage. I won't keep you here for all of it. We'll segment it out over the next couple of weeks, next few weeks. But I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to just read the first two verses. That'll be enough for a couple weeks all by itself. Paul has just been talking about the Jewish people. He's just been talking about those who are of the natural olive tree, those who are grafted in. He's beginning to to lay out the salvation of the Jews being brought to their height, that they that the mercies of God revealed through those who were the Romans, those who are not born of the Jewish faith, the Gentiles, that the mercies of God being revealed in them is beginning to open the eyes of the Jewish people to the mercies of God for them as well. And as he's been making those arguments through the last chapter or chapter and a half, he comes to chapter 12, speaking to the Romans, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, my brothers... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service or worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, be, may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Here in Romans chapter 12, in these first two verses, it's an explosion of information. But it starts out with, I beseech you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies. Since you have just heard me talk about God's mercies, the lists and lists and lists that are presented in the book of Romans up to this point, in view of everything you've just seen, in view of the mercies of God, I beseech you, I, I implore you, I call you out to this. The book of Romans has uh, a few places where Paul really gets serious and he kind of wags his finger. He gets strong. He, he calls you to do something with a real uh, uh, sort of strength and force. Eleven of those places are in this chapter. Eleven times he lays out something you really need to do from his heart. This is something I beseech you to do. This is something I implore you to do. This is something you have to do in view of what you know of the mercies of God. Do this. That's how he starts. And that's why we're here. Because I think what Paul is trying to say is with with, with Paul's regular pattern, he lays out the theology and the story of that theology. And he lays it out and lays it out and lays it out. And book after book after book, he tells us you are saved by God's grace. You are blessed to be followers of God. Jesus died for you. And he tells this story over and over again. Here in Romans, he's taken the first several chapters to do so. And now he comes to this point and he says, therefore, and he begins to apply it to our lives in specific ways. Therefore, do this. So I want to talk about in view of God's mercy today, in view of God's mercy, what is it that God wants from me? What is it in view of His mercy that He wants? 
for me. Would you join me as a word, for a word of prayer again? Lord, we lift ourselves to you as empty vessels, unknowing of what you desire for us in this moment, but looking forward to what you will bring. I pray that all of our hearts will be opened and our ears will hear, that our eyes will see where you lead. And most of all, I pray that we would follow. In your name, amen. So today, I want to talk to you about flyers, not flies. Flyers and catchers. Flyers and catchers. Flyers, those who take flight. Catchers, those who catch those who take flight. It's a great act of faith to be a flyer. Completely dependent on a catcher. To take flight in your spiritual life is an act of faith. In view of God's mercies, I implore you, in view of God's mercies, to do something incredible, something you really can't stay earthbound and do. You're going to have to take a leap of faith, leaping out into the abyss where if you are not caught, if God does not outstretch his arms and catch you, you're going to splat on the floor. In view of what you know about the merciful, loving nature of God, Jump. He's saying, in view of what you know about God, take that leap of faith. Fly out. Hold out your hands. Be still while you drift through the air until he catches you. In view of what you know about who God is. Ask the question, what do you want from me, God? And then step into that. What do you expect of your follower today? And jump into that. Leap into his arms. Drift through the air until he catches you. Romans chapter 12 is built on the arguments Paul has been building throughout the the text. And I would love to take you through all of the first 11 chapters, but unless you brought a lunch and a dinner, we're not getting that done today. But in chapter 3, verse 21, he's just, I'm just going to give you some quick sampling pieces of this. He addresses the idea that now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Now the righteousness of God, the the righteousness is revealed apart from the law, being witnessed by both the law and the prophets. This that you are being, that you are seeing, that is revealed to you today, the things that I have been trying to teach you, the things that Jesus is, is displaying, were revealed all along. They were there in the law and the prophets. When he speaks of the law and the prophets, he speaks of the first five books of Moses and the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. But I want to, I want to take you into that in a very specific, a very, uh, a, a particular way. I'd like you to take it as literal as possible. He, if you took it as literal as possible, the law should reveal the mercies of God. Right? The law should reveal the mercies of God. So don't freak out about the Ten Commandments. If God is giving you these Ten Commandments out of His love and out of His grace, they are revealing the character of God. They're revealing the mercies of God. So when God says there are no other gods but me, 
He's not restricting you. We get this all wrong. I know I have said this to you before. I will say this until I retire or die, whichever comes first. Maybe after I retire, I'll keep saying it. The deal here is that these rules, these laws that God lays down are not a revelation of any kind of of, of an encampment. They're not the the revelation of the handcuffs that he's putting on you. They're the revelation of how God releases you to be free in a world that's overwhelmed and flooded with a sewer of sin. He's saying, man, there are no other gods, so why would you worship one? And if you're you're built an idol of even the real God, the only thing you can do if you build an idol is diminish who God really is. Nothing you could do could really represent God. And oh, by the way, that third commandment that do not not claim God in vain, do not take the Lord's name in vain, don't take that as cursing. Sure, in an ancillary way it covers cursing, but man, it's really talking about don't be a fake. Don't be a phony believer. Sabbath invites you into rest. Salvation-like rest. The rest where you put down your stress, your worries, your concerns, and you lean into Him. The rest of the commandments are about relationships. Don't lie to people. Don't steal from people. Don't take someone else's wife. And don't covet their goods. I mean, you just go down the list. Honor your father and your mother. This is just a list about relationships. And it's all good good relationship advice. It's not restrictive relationship advice. Oh, no, I don't get to lie to people anymore. Really? That's what you wanted to do? We look at these things like, oh, they're terrible handcuffs to God. They're not. They're gates into a better life. Your relationships in the world will be better and you will be happier if you open these gates and walk through them. By the way, they're also not a staircase by which you attain God's pleasure and God's love because they are actually a revelation of that. It's not something you're growing into that you're, lo- you're going to get to if you keep falling up the staircase. They're His gift to us. So that's one element of the law, but there's also another big element of the law. The law tells all kinds of stories about kill a sheep like this, haul its blood in there like that, take its bones out there and burn them like that. There's a whole other section of the law that talks about the sanctuary. Should that reveal the mercies of God? Well, yeah. Because when you go and you lay your hands on the top of the head of this lamb and you confess your sins and you slit the throat of the lamb with your own hand and you you are clearly aware that, that sin costs something, what you're also aware of is that it's not costing that of you. You are not the one whose throat is being cut. There's a substitution here. I'm not the one receiving the wages of my sin. I am holding my hands over another. It's it's this little innocent creature. I'm taking its life because it's a serious problem, sin, but I'm not going to have to be responsible for my own. And the blood of that little lamb is placed on the horns of the altar and then It's taken in and placed on the horns of another altar. And some of that blood gets sprinkled on the veil. And there is all of this representation that the sin is no longer mine. It's being transferred away from me. And God will take responsibility for it. There will be a substitute for me someday. You see, all along, 
The mercies of God are being revealed through it all. Paul is not inventing something new here. I, I, I listen to a lot of preachers. I listen to preachers on Sabbath morning. They kind of, it's like a, a coach's pep talk for normal people would be. This is what preachers do. We get up for you by listening to some other preacher preach. And the poor guy was telling his congregation that, you know, it used to be that people were saved by killing sheep. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you don't understand. How do you deal with what Paul says? How do you deal with Hebrews? I felt bad for him. I felt bad for his congregation. Because he missed half the story. He missed the biggest half of the story. That a merciful, loving God renews his mercies every morning for everyone. And it's always been the case. It was always true. Still is. The apostle says, this is nothing new. What has been revealed to you has been taught by the law and the prophets all along. You say, what about the prophets? Well, remember, the prophets are always saying the same thing to Israel. God would like to rescue you. If you refuse, these bad things are going to happen. But don't refuse. Go back to God and he'll rescue you because he wants to rescue you. The story of the prophets over and over and over again is the same story for you and for me. God is trying to get you into heaven. He's trying to rescue you. He's trying to take care of you. He's trying to bless you. Please accept that. It goes back to Moses' words in Deuteronomy as he's summing the whole story up. Remember the story. Remember it's that moment, that closing statement he's making. I offer you blessings and curses, life and death. Choose life. That's the message of the prophets over and over again. I know that it gets gruesome. I know when they describe how the Assyrians are going to destroy the northern tribes of Israel. It's gruesome. When they describe what's going to happen if Sennacherib gets into the into the city of of uh, Jerusalem, it's it's really, really painfully descriptive. But remember, the prophets are telling them these are all the horrible things that could happen. Go back to God so they don't happen. They're trying to paint as boldly as possible the picture of the outcome if you refuse God. It's the same thing in Revelation from 14, halfway through 14 through 19. It's just pictures of what will happen if you refuse to follow God. He's trying to rescue you. Just just go to Him. There's nothing new that Paul is teaching. He's just condensing it in the New Testament under the banner of Christ. In chapter 4, verse 3, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He goes back to the founder of the, of the covenant. He goes back to the man who is person one in the Jewish nation, in the Jewish covenant, and he says it was accounted to him, his faith, his belief in God. That night when he stood out there and he looked up at the stars in a, in a dark, dark place with no city lights around where he could see thousands, hundreds of thousands of stars with the naked eye, he looked up at all of those stars smeared across the heavens and he said, count them. And Abraham looked at the stars and realized it was impossible to count them. And God said, that's what your family's going to be like. You have nothing now, but I promise you, I will bless you. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
He wasn't righteous. It was accounted to him as righteousness. And the apostle says, see, it's always been this way. It's always been the case. Now that you know about the mercies of God, now that you know about the mercies of God, I beseech you, step into that. Step into that. Now that you know that he will catch you, jump. Now that you know how much he loves you, lean on him. Trust him. Have faith in him. The same guy, Abraham, later in his life, after he actually has that first star, he only gets to see one. After the first star is born, you talk about a star being born. God says, Abraham, I need you to take your son, take him up on Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem is today. Take him up on Mount Moriah and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Abraham had to be going, well, come on. Now I know the theology of heaven. I know about the mercies of God. I know that this is not how you behave. I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. I'm not going to kill my son. Come on, Abraham, going up on the hill. Abraham cuts the wood, sharpens the knife, gets his son, takes the journey, climbs the hill. His son, who's in his late teens, probably at the time, wises up on the way up the hill and says, Dad, we got a problem. We forgot to bring a lamb for the sacrifice. In Abraham's words are the picture of Jesus When Abraham, because he knows of the heart of God, trusts that no matter the outcome of the knife that he has in his hand, no matter the outcome of the sacrifice that he's intending to make, God is still merciful. God still loves this son. God still promised him that he would have children as the stars in the sky, sands of the sea. And he says to his son, son, God will provide for himself a lamb. You, you may know the story. He goes all the way through tying him up, building the altar, putting the wood on it, preparing for the fire. He goes all the way through to the sun lying down on the, on the altar. This, this which we think of as Abraham's great act of faith, which in Judaism is referred to more as Isaac's act of faith. He lays down on the altar on his own authority and power like Jesus would go to the cross on his own authority. And he watches as his son, as his father raises the knife. And then and only then does the angel stop him and say, okay, stop. Far enough. Thank you for jumping into the unknown. I'll take it from here. And Abraham looks up from the altar where his tears have mingled with those of his son. And there in the thicket is the lamb that God has provided as a substitute for the sacrifice on the altar. Now 
that you know about the mercies of God. Jump. Jump. John the Baptist would see this in Jesus. He would watch him one day. He would just watch him walking toward him. And suddenly a revelation to the prophet John. As he comes across, as Jesus is coming toward him, he sees who it is and what it is all about. In one moment, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And the story makes a full cycle back to Abraham. And that full cycle encompasses all the lambs that have been sacrificed for centuries in the sanctuary and all the blood of the Passovers and all of the sins that were confessed over the heads of those lambs and all of the people who walked away unburdened. And it's all encompassed as John sees Jesus coming. He says, there he is. There's the one that Abraham was talking about on the mountain. There's the one that every single sin offering has been pointing to. This is the one that the morning sacrifice covers, and that's the one that the evening sacrifice spoke of. This is him. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now that you understand God's mercies, Paul says, I beseech you, jump. A few chapters before, in Romans chapter 5, he lays it out. For if when we were enemies, for if we were, when we were enemies, we were in opposition to God when we were enemies, more than just being different, more than just walking away, When we were enemies, we were even fighting against God. If when we were enemies, and Paul knew what it was to be an enemy of God. This guy is trying to destroy the church that Jesus birthed with his own blood. Paul knows when he says when we were enemies, he recognizes himself in the word. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. When we flat out oppose God. Back when you were an atheist or an agnostic and you stood up in class and you shook your fist at those who believed in Jesus. Back when you were just stupid and you were in high school and you were telling your friends who were in the school how your, your, your guys are soft, you follow Jesus. Back when you stood next to your friend who held out their Bible And you dismissed it. It's a writing of a bunch of old dead men. When you were that guy, when you were that girl, you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I was. You were. Everyone in history had reconciliation under the blood of the lamb who was the sacrifice who is Christ, now that you understand God's mercies, jump. 
He doesn't stop. He continues in the second half of this verse. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So when God opens the books of the records, He's not going to see your record. He's going to see the record of Jesus. When they, when they open the Lamb's book of life and they see your name in it, the covering of that book, the, the reason that is the Lamb's book of eternal life that your name can be written in is because Christ died a life for a sinner and lived the life of a saint so that that life might be put on yours and my record. Now that you know about the mercies of God, Become one who flies. But it's scary to fly. Flying is just falling until Jesus catches you. To defy the gravity of your own doubts. Defy the gravity of the weight of the sin you have confessed and you're still worried about. There is no way to fly while I'm still standing here. I don't have wings, so I'll have to jump. Paul said, wages of sin, your wage, my wage, what we've earned, the wages of sin, the the requirement of our decision, death. But the gift of God, the gift of God, wrapped in the flesh of a human being, wandering around in the dirty paths of earth, born of a woman just like you were, facing temptation just like you do, the gift of God. The wages you've earned are displaced by the gift God has given gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You pay nothing for it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. And now that you understand the mercies of God, I beseech you, therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, since you know all of this about God, jump. Your question has always been, will you trust me? It's always been. The question has always been, will you trust me? 
jump. You trust me. Don't eat that fruit. I heard a woman talk about this. And she gave me words I've never had before. She said, standing there at the tree, Eve relied on her own data. not on God's word. Oh, it brought me right into the present because it's easy to rely on my own data. To look at the facts as I see them. The tree looks good. I've told you before, if I were God, I would have made that stinky, horrible, that would have been dripping and oozing pus out of it. There would have been no way you'd want to eat that stuff, but God had to make it fair. So it looked good. It smelled good. It wasn't killing the snake. He was eating it. And for it to be fair, her data had to be. Had to be. But it seemed okay. The snake's not dying, and the snake says God's lying. And from what I can tell, the data I can gather says the snake is right, not God. And we got on that bus, all of us. The story has never changed. Eve, will you trust me, or will you trust you? We live in a world they throw, where data is thrown at us all the time. Do you know that 97% of statistics are lies, right? You can do with what, that whatever you want. But there is a constant barrage of data. I love... David Attenborough's voice when he's talking about animals and stuff. He drives me nuts when he talks about evolution. And we know that millions of years ago, this bird's eyes could only see black and white. No, you don't. At least have the humility to say, we think. It's possible. We believe. There are no fossils of that bird's eyes from millions of years ago. Come on. Drive me nuts. Then he goes back to his, his sweet British accent when he's talking about, look at the zebra run. And I'm like, yeah, that's the guy I want to hear from. Just shut up about the millions of years, will you? Data is being thrown at you all the time. Constantly the devil is throwing data at you. It's the same snake in the same tree throwing the same mess at you that was throwing it at Eve. Will you buy it or will you trust God? I know that was a big thing I just asked of you. I said, will you buy it or will you trust God? Because the question has always been, will you trust me? You are saved by grace through faith, which is simply a way of saying you trusted him. 
view of God's mercy. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, my brothers, in view of the mercies of God, offer yourselves. <laughs> like Isaac. All right, tie my hands. No, no, I want to lay, I want to be laying down looking up so I can see what's coming. I'll close my eyes if it scares me. Would you put some steps on the altar so I can put my feet on something when I lay down? Offer yourself. Jump. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is reasonable rational, acceptable, once you understand the mercies of God. Since you understand that God has you covered, since you understand that God has the authority and power of the resurrection, since you understand that Jesus died for you, since you understand that he paid the wages of sin, since you understand that he gave you salvation as a gift, since you understand that his life was put on record for you, so your life's record is gone, thrown into the depths of the sea, since you understand that the sacrifice in the morning in the, in, the, in the temple system was to tell everyone that the mercies of God were new every morning and the sacrifice of the evening was to say they're still going through the night. Since you understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not kill them on the spot. He explained to them that there would be a substitution even for them. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself. Jump. Jump into the relationship. Let him catch you. There's a story told about Henry Nowen. Nowen says that he was, he was friends with some circus performers. Henry Nowen, uh, if you haven't heard of him before, is a, a Christian author of previous decades, deep insights into the grace and mercies of God in much of his writing. But in this particular story, he talks about having known some circus performers. And he was talking to them. They were, they were high flyers on the trapeze. He was asking them about it. What's that feel like? <laughs> What's that like to swing above the crowd a hundred feet off the ground and release yourself from the only tether that's keeping you safe? He said there are catchers and there are flyers and when you let go and you're flying through the air your only responsibility is to be still and wait for the catcher to grab you out of the air because if you start trying to fly for yourself 
You won't have your hands out for the catcher. Paul's opening word, since you understand God's mercy, give yourself over to him completely. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Let go of the the things you think hold you. Be still and know that the catcher is God. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to imagine myself as a sacrifice. But I pray that all of us would reckon with the view of your mercy as we let go. As we let go of the last modicum of legalism that we hold on to just in case. As we hold on to the sin that will ultimately drag us down. As we doubt that you can be trusted. Lord, help us to look at your mercies and jump.